listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's a daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 21st of April 2022. Later, Australian shares within half a percent from a record high. We'll tell you more in a few moments. But first, foreign buyers are returning to the Australian property market. That's according to NAB's quarterly residential property report where it says 7.9% of all new property demand is from international buyers. So what does that mean for prices and for affordability? Earlier, I spoke with NAB Chief Economist, Alan Oster. Alan, to what extent are foreign buyers coming back to the housing market and why? I think it's three quarters in a row where we've seen the um, average proportion of foreign buyers um, coming back increasing. So we're now up to about 7.9%. Long run average is much higher than that. But generally what we're seeing is a re-emergence. And I think it's basically what's happening is the markets are essentially the borders are opening and people are coming back and and looking at Australia and saying it's a good place to live and it's a good place to put some investment in. Do we know where they're coming from? Short answer is no, Uh, although we hear lots of rumours that it's mainly out of Asia. But we don't ask what type in the survey. Alan, why is this a development that we need to watch and what does it mean about affordability? Well, I think we just need to watch it because as the borders get more seriously opened, I I think you'll find more people will look at Australia and say that's a good place to to invest and so it'll put extra pressure on on affordability as we go forward. Um, But we just need to watch it at this stage. We're not uptight. I mean... You, you talk about, you know, 7% of uh, new properties being bought. At some stages in Melbourne, it was over 20%. So it's it's just slowly reopening as the borders reopen. Okay. Still, the index is steady despite the prospect of rising rates. Why? Yep. I think people uh, still have a view that... Um, Essentially, it might not be the best time to buy a property, but they haven't really changed their view about is it a good time to buy. So uh, we see differences when, when is it a good time to buy? It's dropped from 80% to 20%. Is it, will you still go and talk to your bank about it? Basically, numbers haven't changed. And so people still say it's a good long term investment um, and they're more worried about affordability at present. But interest rates obviously will be increasingly a concern. What kind of an impact will these higher interest rates have on different parts of the market? And what kind of buyers will mostly be affected by it? Well, obviously, interest rates make it more difficult for first-time owners. And they're currently, on our numbers, around 40% of the market. But I think you need to be careful. I think the Reserve Bank will go slowly. Um, I can see them getting in a couple of years' time up to about 2%, and that actually happens to be the long-run average in terms of what people take out of their pay and pay off their mortgage. So I don't see the Reserve Bank being overzealous or overactive in terms of pushing rates until we get a crash. And just finally, you're predicting national house prices will fall at 10% next year. To what extent is that a concern? Well, I think it's more a levelling off. Um, You know, 10% fall sounds terrible, but 22% increase is what we've seen in the last two years. So um, I think it's just more um, getting things back to normal. 
Alan Nostow there, the Chief Economist of NAB. Now to the Australian share market, which rose 0.3%, the S&P ASX 200, 7,594. It means the index is just 36 points below its record close from August last year. Not bad given the 11% correction we saw in January. So where do we go from here? For more, I spoke earlier with Catherine Alfrey from Wavestone Capital. Catherine, the 200 is within a whisker of a record high today. Why, despite this mounting wall of worry when we talk about geopolitical risks, higher inflation and the prospect of rising interest rates? Mm. So Australia is really the lucky country. And uh, unfortunately, with the invasion of the Ukraine, uh, Australia, in terms of our commodity prices, have been a major beneficiary. So the LNG price, the coal price... Um, even iron ore to some extent has risen. And so we've seen, you know, commodity prices across the board rise substantially, which has benefited the resources sector, which now is about 30% of the Australian market. So year to date, the resources sector is up 21% uh, versus the market up three. Uh, the industrials are actually down year to date um, because of what you just talked about in terms of rising inflation concerns and rising interest rates and that reflecting into valuations for industrial stocks. But overall, it's the resources sector driving the market. Given those risks, though, you know, when we talk about what's happening in Ukraine, um, more globally, though, higher inflation, especially, which will lead to higher interest rates, what's likely to happen with the share market once, it, you know, we're, we're going to assume it'll likely hit the, these record highs? What happens after that? Well, there's a lot of unknowns at the moment, of course, because of the geopolitical tensions, like you mentioned, but also in terms of China with their zero COVID uh, suppression policy and the impact that's going to have on the economic growth in China because we're already seeing that slow. And so the concern, of course, is that we still have an outbreak in China despite the suppression and that really does impact um, economic growth and that will, of course, then impact uh, global growth. Um, and you've already got a slowing global economy uh, on the back of rising rates and geopolitical tensions. Uh, so the US and Europe, uh, you know, we've seen quite sharp revisions in terms of economic growth on the back of rising inflation concerns as well, but also the rising rate outlook. Yeah, for the year uh, going forward, um, I, I would expect you to see some rotation and some consolidation at this level. Uh, and we, I would expect later in the year, at some point, you'll see a rotation back into more sort of defensive industrial type stocks away from the resources sector. Okay, so in this environment then, where do you see the opportunities? Uh, defensive industrials, some of the beaten up uh, names now in terms of small industrials or also in some of the tech names uh, if they've got, you know, long-term growth stories because um, some of the tech names are off, you know, 30 50% uh, in the last sort of six months. Uh, and then we're sort of selectively buying uh, certain, you know, industrial names. And finally, lots of corporate news around today, bits and pieces from everywhere. Um, run us through what, what you think is, is of most interest. But I also note, you know, when we talk about some of the leading movers on the market, your Rios and your BHPs, iron ore shipments are, are falling. What does this mean? So what we've seen in terms of the iron ore shipment, shipments has been directly affected by the rising COVID case in Western Australia and the Pilbara. And so that's resulted in labour shortages. And so as a result, um, both Rio and BHP have reported lower production uh, numbers for the quarter. Uh, they're both actually 
um, continuing with their full year guidance, no change. So they obviously expect some pickup, but they have called out that they would expect further COVID dis disruptions in this quarter coming up. Um, so that's been the main concern. Uh, yes, as you say, today was a huge day for a lot of quarterly production numbers. Santos was obviously a good number um, in terms of oil production, but also uh, we saw numbers from Challenger that were well received. Brambles had a better than expected um, guidance uplift over the uh, quarter. So they've uh, upgraded both revenue and EBIT for the quarter. So the stock was up strongly on the back of that. But conversely, we saw disappointment um, from Megaport. That was uh, a disappointing number. And we've seen a slight disappointment in terms of Endeavour's numbers as well, um, with lower sort of alcohol sales comping some, you know, strong COVID numbers last year. Catherine Alfrey there from Wavestone Capital. From the share market, let's go to inflation, where in New Zealand consumer prices are at a near 30-year high. For more, I spoke earlier with Justin Smirk, Senior Economist at Westpac, to find out how it compares with Australia and if there are any similarities. Justin, to what extent is inflation a problem in New Zealand and why? Um, so inflation is a bit of an accelerating problem in New Zealand. It's similar to here, but perhaps being more aggressive. They've got an annual place of around close to seven and we're still you know, under four percent. The reasons are similar. Um, of course, energy prices coming out of what's been happening in uh, Ukraine and the sort of shortage of global supplies of you know, coal, uh, LNG. Um, also, they've been having a housing cycle that's been fairly robust. And that's um, been driving the story. But there's also the, the supply disruptions that have been coming through as well. So the disruptions to both the food chain, uh, food supply chains and the dis disruptions to the whole distribution networks is putting increasing pressure. And they've been also seeing tight labour markets as well. So in a sense, they've got a similar framework to what we've got, but it does appear that they're running more aggressively than we are. Can you go into a bit more detail with that? Because we've got our CPI numbers here in Australia coming, next, coming in next week. So give me more detail about how we compare. And is there anything that we in Australia can take from those New Zealand numbers? Well, yeah, I've been looking at these numbers for a long time. And um, sometimes you can find um, components that line up perfectly and then they stop working. Um, sometimes the headline numbers give you the right sort of movements and then they doesn't do it. As soon as you get confident, it doesn't do it. And even looking at the risks, quite often um, you, you, you feel that the risks, like if, for example, the New Zealand CPI came in a little bit less than expected, suggesting maybe Australian will as well. And again, that doesn't work all the time. But I think there are some messages we can take from this one. It did come in a little softer than the market was looking for. They're looking for two. Our guys over there are at 1.9 and it came in at 1.8. Um, but there are some differences you've got to be careful about. So it's picking up the energy prices, which we can translate to. Um, it did, however, highlight some things that were perhaps uh, a caution around why there's maybe expectations as could be a little softer. In New Zealand, clothing and footwear actually fell. And in our own forecast, we're looking for them to rise this quarter. So there's a little caution sign that maybe the th pressures are a little bit different to what we're expecting. And also, of course, around important things like dwellings, which are a very, very large um, weight in both CPIs. In the New Zealand one, we saw some very strong rises coming through on the through both the construction costs leading to dwelling price rises and along with strong rises in rents. Now, looking through ours, we are expecting um, rents to rise quite strongly as well and also looking for um, dwelling prices to rise quite strongly. But here, the difference may be that we've got the all those home builder grants expiring and running out. 
Um, the last applications closed uh, a year ago, and the, and the ABS has just been applying them against the um, purchases as people have been using them. Now, we think that's all going to expire this quarter, and that will see a much larger than usual 5.4% rise in dwelling prices. So there are some things in ours that are different and can create different movements around. But I think the overall message is that we are seeing those global pressures, the energy pressures, and those tight labour markets and tight supply conditions all driving inflation, just perhaps being a bit more extreme in New Zealand than what we've been experiencing here. So if inflation's a little bit more of a problem in New Zealand, does that explain why the RBNZ is perhaps more aggressive in the way it's expected to be lifting interest rates when here in Australia rates haven't moved just yet? That's a very good part of the whole story. I mean, New Zealand being a small economy, their, their economic measures do tend to be more volatile than ours as well. So their CPI does move a lot more. And that often is what results in how their central bank responds as well too. But you have noticed the big shift in our own central bank as it's become more aware of these building inflationary risks. As you know, um, we've been talking about those risks for some time and talking about the RBA moving much sooner than they have. And every time we hear from the RBA, they've been moving forward their rate hikes um, views. And now we've gone from nothing till 2024 until looking like it's pretty much waiting for the next uh, two important measures on the CPI and wages, and that leaves us with a June rate hike. That was Justin Smirk there from Westpac. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. Music.